Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon. The amazing spider talk, the amazing spider talk, come swing through the air, sit back and prepare for the amazing spider. Hello, I'm Dapper Dan Gavostin, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. Thank you for joining us for this special Amazing Friends episode of The Amazing Spider-Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. If you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, Subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. Every other week, we put out a mainline episode of our flagship show, and sprinkled in between, we review new comics as well as interview some of the greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. This is the perfect time to start listening. On today's show, I'm going to be talking to Spider-Man and symbiote artist Brian Level to talk about his work on Amazing Spider-Man Renew Your Vows and his one-shot Absolute Carnage Separation Anxiety Number 1. Brian was a lot of fun to talk to, and while his work on Spidey is limited, he really offered a unique insight into the behind-the-scenes of the era and the world of freelance artwork at Marvel. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Well, now let's meet one of our amazing spider friends, the kind of guy I don't see other friends who recommend. Find out about the things they created. You'll love them so much that you wish you dated. But you're just friends, they're an amazing friend, a friend, a friend, a friend, they're an amazing friend. Well, welcome, Brian Level, to the Amazing Spider Talk. I'm so thrilled to have you on our show this week to talk about your new book and some of the work, work you've done on Spider-Man books over the years. Yeah, thanks for uh, asking me to be on. Well, you know, one of the things that really made me notice you for the first time was, because I kind of keep to the Spider-Man realm of things, um, which, you know, tends to cross over into almost everybody's, you know, uh, camp every now and again. And you uh, appeared, and, and for those who don't know, you worked on the Amazing Spider-Man Renew Your Vows issues 11 and 12, which were really interesting issues because there was this kind of strange departure of Jerry Conway from the book. And, you know, I think Jerry has talked on our show that, you know, they were kind of putting Venom stories on him that he wasn't super thrilled with and thought it might be better handled under somebody else's pen. And that somebody else quickly became Ryan Stegman, which is funny because we know Ryan Stegman. I think then he was, you know, amongst the Spider-Man community, a superstar artist. And now he's only, you know, rocketed into the stratosphere, but seeing him writing on something was unusual at the time. I know he's written things since, I guess I'm curious about how this project came to be and have you included on it as the artist and what it was like to work with Ryan Stegman in like a different capacity than how people are used to seeing him work. So that the whole thing with working on Renee Your Vows is kind of weird anyway. And if like, if I could 
say how that job even came about was because of nepotism essentially uh <laughs> like like ryan's a good friend of mine and we talk all the time but uh like i even kind of ghosted uh i don't know if I, maybe i got maybe i didn't ghost maybe i actually got credits but i did backgrounds for him uh on like issues five and six maybe or six and seven so you know i wasn't completely unfamiliar with the book and uh, I mean, outside of, you know, like, like artistically or whatever, but Darren Shan, who was editing, uh, was also an editor of mine previously on some other stuff over at Marvel. I did some um, like uh, Nick Fury stuff and like, uh, I can't remember what all he edited. It's, you know, when you work on a lot of different stuff, you forget what, like who, who edited what all the time. But then uh, when, when uh, Jerry or uh, when Jerry split, Ryan took over for writing, which is actually not a surprise to me because Ryan's a really good storyteller. Um, anyone who's used to his podcast or whatever and uh, talking to him at all, he just tells great stories. Um, so the writing end was interesting because he was kind of like, here's what I think I'm going to do. Uh, I want to write you stuff to draw that's going to be really cool for you because I know how, you know, what you draw well. And so it, was, it wasn't really super collaborative because they already had a story in mind. Um, but Ryan is a really intuitive visual thinker, obviously. So he gave me lots of cool stuff to draw. I almost cussed, am I allowed to do that here? I feel bad if I swear. Um, but he gave me all kinds of stuff to draw that was was really rad. And uh, it, it was just weird because it didn't feel strange to me. It felt very like, okay, like I'm jumping in to help out my bro again. And that was really great. And honestly, a huge honor. But also, I didn't recognize the honor it was till I was kind of in the throes of the project. And I was like, oh, this is happening. This is very strange. <laughs> I mean, it was a really unique book at the time. It had really gotten a lot of attention with, uh, you know, bringing, I mean, now Spider-Man and Mary Jane, they're back together again, at least until tomorrow, possibly. Who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> right, right, right. You know, that book really kind of like stood out. And, you know, not, you know, only that, but you had the Jerry Conway, Ryan Stegman, you know, some really big names attached to it. So you said you were working on like issues five or six and six and seven. Was that the Mole Man issues? No, it was the it was the X-Men one. Uh, it was when when they were at the at the school. So uh, I can't remember. That might have been just issue five. I feel like it was for two months, but it was when we were all inside of the school and Gene and like uh, like it was just when all all hell was breaking loose at, at Xavier's school. Uh, a really fun ish, uh, series of issues and also kind of controversial in like how it paired off Gene with, with, I think with Wolverine, not, not Scott. Um, so that, that was a, a, an interesting writing choice. You know, is, is Ryan a collaborator of yours on other projects over the years, or you guys just kind of maintain a professional relationship like uh, our friend relationship? Yeah, we just kind of are, we're just friends. Like uh, we, we kind of hang out a lot online and share what we're working on and, you know, just, I don't know. We just have, we've worked professionally, but we're just, we're just pals, you know, and sometimes there's crossover and sometimes it's just uh, like somebody needs a, somebody needs a hand. Like Riley Rosmo is kind of the same way with me. Like I've kind of jumped in to help Riley on a couple of projects, Hellblazer and Batman and stuff. So it just kind of like, it, I guess it, the professionalism is kind of what introduced us. And then, you know, you spend so many hours drawing alone and you kind of have a couple of people that you talk to, at length and you just kind of realize that that works really well. And all of a sudden now you've got someone that you're in love with and uh, is practically your brother. <laughs> um, how does that, how does that work when you team up with someone? I mean, like every, you know, there's your style is certainly distinct. It is in some ways it bears a lot of similarities to Ryan's work and, and, and rereading these issues today to talk, you know, it really seems consistent with what came before, you know, it, it, you know, sometimes you read these books and there's like a big 
you know, jump in, in terms of like bringing a new artist in. Did you alter your style at all to kind of like make it consistent or do you feel like you got to express yourself? You just happen to be a good fit for this title. Number one, I'm flattered to be compared to Ryan is always a huge, uh, is a huge compliment. He's one of the best working period. Um, as far as cartooning goes, it's hard to, hard to beat what he's doing. You know, Ryan and I, I think share a lot of similar goals on the page, like with the way that we want to cartoon, the way we want to show energy, the way that we like to storytell. He's clearly like on a much higher level than I am as far as experience and just like his, his draftsmanship and, and just his vision, his ability to see things. Um, I got to be careful if he listens to this, this is going to be a disaster. I'll never hear the end of it. Um, but, but, you know, reasonably speaking, like he and I, I think share a lot of similar influences uh, as far as what we like to do. We're both huge Joe Casada fans. And so like when, you know, when we're cartooning, I think we both think of like, how would Joe Q make this look like a crazy person drew it? Um, and, and, you know, obviously we both like McFarlane and uh, a little bit of overdrawn sort of stuff. You know, it's funny because Ryan has influenced me a lot and I try to avoid telling him that. Um, but I always kind of take credit for some of like the, like in Renew Your Vows, there was like these like real perspective, like he was drawing panels in perspective, which was like a move that I was doing in a different book. And so I was like, oh, you're going to steal that one and not give me credit. You, you know? <laughs> and we were having, we we're just kidding around, but like I've, I've stolen so much shit from him over the years. So it makes sense that, you know, like my stuff would bear, bear resemblance to his in some capacity. Well, I mean, it's interesting because in these two issues, you get to draw kind of like a more violent Peter Parker and Mary Jane. Like there's a sequence where Peter like really abuses the rhino in, in issue 11, I believe. And it, it, it kind of, in my mind, bore striking resemblance to, you know, Superior Spider-Man number one, where his auto infected Spider-Man really like terrorized the then uh, calling themselves the Sinister Six superior foes seen kind of like a more bloody battled Peter Parker. It was certainly um, interesting and, and took me back to that. What was it like to get to draw these two characters kind of letting loose one because he's trying to save his daughter and another because she's in, got the venom symbiote on her. And that particular scene, like that's the thing that was kind of a standout for everybody in that issue is Peter beating the hell out of the rhino. Um, I don't remember what the script looked like that for me, to be honest. I do know that like the, I ultimately uh, kind of asked Ryan because there were like I added all those sound effects in there to like really kind of try to make it really like like packing meat, you know, uh, and and I was like, is this a bit much? And he was like, no, this is good. Like because I was running <laughs> stuff by him before I was sending it to the editor because I wanted to kind of honestly like it was kind of like, OK, if I push this a little too far, like I want to I want him to have my back if if I need it. Um, but, you know, I, I come from a really like a, like I come from a horror tradition. So like any opportunity I get to kind of make things a bit more visceral, uh, I'm going to take it. You know, I think that was evidenced a bit in the Star Wars stuff that I did was trying to bring a little bit more tension and, and horror to it than maybe typically wouldn't have been there. Right. That's the Visions comic, correct? Yes, yes, yes. That was a really cool series when they did that. Uh, I would love to see them do more things like that. Yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> it wasn't bad. It was like, I don't say interesting is a bad thing. It was just, I was like unexpected that that whole experience was very unexpected. Well, no, I mean, I think <laughs> I won't go into my thoughts about star Wars, but like for me, star Wars is most exciting when it's unexpected. And that series to me kind of captured that, like the first half hour of a new hope to me, which is like anything could happen right now. I have no idea what is going on to kind of, for me, like the visceral fun of star Wars. 
Yeah, I was uh, I was kind of nervous. Like I kind of like got my hackles up a little bit because uh, I was like, I don't want like Lucasfilm telling me what to draw. And, you know, I kind of had I went in with this sort of like, I don't know, a bit of an antagonistic attitude to the book, which is maybe a little rude of me to say, but it's the facts. Like I'm not always the easiest guy on the planet. I just kind of was like, you know what, I'm going to do this, but I'm just going to get fired. Like I'm like, I'm just going to go completely ape shit and you know, I'm going to make this book sweaty as hell because everybody's nervous all the time. So I'm just going to have everybody sweating bullets and, and just trying to make that like the weirdest me thing I could. And it turned out everybody liked it. So it was like crazy and unexpected. I mean, in terms of weird, you got to do like, I don't know how you describe this, like a kaiju robot green goblin. I mean, <laughs> that's about as far out there as you can get in the realm of Spider-Man. I guess Leo Pardon is a thing, but you you got to create the, I guess, the alternative to that. Uh, can you talk about drawing that big battle in from issue 12? So I don't, I think that I, my memory is not great, but I can't remember if that was a Jerry thing that was kind of seeded earlier on, or if that was all Ryan that created that mech. Um, but Ryan drew the mech for a cover months before I took over the project. So I just kind of picked up where he left off with the design and then uh, just was like, okay, like it was actually really, really difficult for me because just playing with that kind of scale um, and trying to keep it interesting and like not always have a tiny thing and a big thing in every single page. Um, like, a lot of logistical thinking going on there. Well, it's a really fun battle, you know, in terms of like the covers kind of preceding things, you know, I, in the pages of the comic, you got to debut the new costume for Annie Mae Parker and her like eight year age up. Did you have any design, uh, design you know, contr contributions there or were you just going off of an already solicited cover at that point? I was just going off of Ryan's design. That's cool. Do, do you know the behind the scenes of like why there was felt like there was a desire to age that character up i'm uncertain actually i i don't know what the thought was at all <laughs> i feel like when you ask me that there's a part of me that remembers something because you know like we we talked about all this stuff as it went on i just don't know if that ever came up maybe that was was it kelly that took over after that kelly thompson i think so i can't remember exactly uh, maybe that was her pitch i don't i have no idea really Probably that sounds about right. I mean, I'll just say uh, like for me, honestly, I was like, Oh, I, I felt a little robbed because I felt like the appeal of the spider family was like extra special when it was a child. And I mean, I guess she's still a child at 16, but it, it felt like it was in, intruding on like Mayday Parker's territory a little bit. And that's funny. I never thought about that. I, you know, I do wonder, I don't know. I can't, cause I can't say that was Kelly's doing. I wonder if some of that could have been from just the success of uh, Ms. Marvel and uh, you know, Gwenpool and some of these other teenage characters. Um, they could have been kind of trying to just a, on a marketing end that could have been maybe the move there. Uh, I'm not, a, I'm not a hundred percent sure. It's a hundred percent, not a judgment of quality more than it is just me being like, Oh, like there was something really unique going on here. I just didn't want to pin something on Kelly or something. Yeah, I no, literally have fair. no clue. <laughs> so what is it like to draw like, uh, the spider family, so to speak, you know, he's typically, I mean, I guess nowadays we're used to into the spider verse and all of this stuff, but like on the page, we've not had so many like spider team ups. Of this ilk, is there a special type of? Are you doing calculations in your head about 
if I draw the buildings this way, I can get them to appear like such. And um, now I got to think about that for three people. And that's just a lot of webs to draw. Uh, that never really became an issue. I think the script, I think what you're saying is something that could happen. Uh, but Ryan being a comic book artist kind of is very aware of all those things. So like, I, you know, I think that his choices were there to maximize like things looking interesting on the page, not making things like, and I think a lot of times, like, cause I write too. And a lot of what the way that I think about things is a little less like cinematic blocking and a little more like, I don't know, like, I don't think about stuff like it's real. It's all metaphorical to me. And I think, and I know Ryan's the exact same way. Like we've talked about that. So it's like, well, who cares if this person was in front this time, like they can be back now. It's about like making sure the characters read the right way in the panels and making sure the word balloon tails don't cross and all that stuff. Like, so like he's, you know, it wasn't, I didn't have to think much about like crossing stuff. It was, he made it pretty, you know, made it super easy for me and, you know, just let me cut loose. We had Brian Ryan on our show like a, a few years ago, and he's he's been great to kind of join us every now and again. And I always really appreciated his kind of like uh, cartoonist approach. And like he always emphasized uh, like, especially with Spider-Man's villains, kind of like upping the animalistic design and moving away from like a, a real anatomical accuracy in his work. Can you speak about your kind of design process and and you know how you kind of would define your style of art? Yeah, uh, my, if I was going to define my style of art when it comes, well, so there's two versions of me essentially. There's the version of me that y'all see at Marvel and DC, and then there's the horror version of me. Um, the Marvel DC version is very much like what would John Romita Jr. do, and what would Joe Casada do, and like how do I make these characters feel like they weigh a billion pounds? Like that would, that's really always the, always the move for me, not about bulk, I guess, but about like volume. Like I want their bodies to feel three-dimensional and heavy and, and like they could, you know, like if they hit the ground, like the ground might crack. Like I want there to feel like everything's solid. So for me, it's less about like making the proportions like crazy and like wild, you know, like, I don't, like, I don't think like James Heron, right. Um, like where things stretch out like crazy or get kind of smooth and noodly if they need, like, like he's a genius, uh, you know, there's so many great cartoonists out there. I just like, I just kind of look at things more mechanistically um, where it's like, okay, what, you know, what can I do to, you know, make this heavy and intense and uh, menacing essentially. And where does that come from? Are there, are there, you said, you mentioned Casada, you know, Romita Jr. And, and McFarlane, you know, this kind of approach to superheroics on the page, you know, are those your shining idols or does it go back further than that? Uh, yeah, I mean, yes, definitely. But, you know, like there's, there's a sinister quality that, that Frank Miller always had and that even Mazzucchelli or Mazzucchelli had that, that I love, like all that old daredevil stuff. There's just something super sinister in, in all that work that, I don't think that they're sinister dudes or anything. It's just, there's something that about daredevils, New York city that doesn't feel the same as Peter Parker's New York city. And so I'm, I'm kind of dragging that daredevil influence in and Ramita jr's work on daredevil is always to me, one of the most, you know, one of the most like important things in my, I guess, in my, in the back of my brain at all times, you know, I draw a lot on, uh, you know, I love David Finch's stuff. Um, I like Mark Silvestri's stuff. Uh, so I, I try to look at, I mean, and for panel layouts, like I think Scott McDaniel's a weird genius. There's all kinds of different 
things I pull from. Like I'm looking up at like my what's right in front of me right now, like on my shelf of stuff that that I reference. And I think that's that's a lot of it. I do love Umberto Ramos's uh, Spider-Man. I think he's amazing. Um, but I cannot, I can't think like him, like his stuff is so like, I don't know. He's, he's just, he's different, you know, <laughs> Guy's he's different. in kind of a league of his own. There's not many people that oh, totally. look like him. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Pachala is that way too. Like I love looking at those guys' stuff. Sometimes I'll pick something up on framing or black spotting, but uh, it's always, I'm always dragging it back to Ramita Jr. Ramita Jr. And uh, Joe Casada are like my two go-tos. I'm sure with Bacalo or Bacalo, however you pronounce it, I don't. I don't really know, honestly. Uh, so sorry if you if you ever if you, if you hear that all the time, sir. Yeah, right. I'm sure he does. I mean, whatever. My last name is Gavazdin, so like I, I my sympathy extends. But it, but uh, but uh, you know, we're all going through it in su- to some degree. We don't have an easy last name like Level. Well, you, sure you wouldn't believe how many people think it's Lovell. <laughs> I, I believe it. I hundred percent believe it. So you were saying that you have this horror version of you, but like uh, to me, I feel like I've already experienced that to some degree in reading absolute carnage separation anxiety, which, which you made, which I think in my mind is like maybe the most upsetting Marvel comic I've, I've ever read. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. I mean, I mean, it's truly a compliment. Those who haven't read the comic, it it features this little girl whose dog, and correct me if I'm wrong here because it's been a little bit since I've read it, tracks the symbiote like into their house and the, the symbiote spread through her whole family and it involves cannibalism and exploding things into tentacles and ultimately at the end, spoiler, the little girl herself, just when you think she's going to get away, is taken in by the symbiotes. I don't know. I mean, like you went full Cronenberg on, on this issue. Can you speak to, to one, like creating this issue and two, like, wow, I can't believe what you got a, away with. Did Marvel poo poo anything or did they just kind of let you go hog wild? They, there was a melting face that we got a note after the inks were done for Jordan Boyd, the colorist that was like, Hey, maybe make this a different color, not red, you know, but that was like kind of the real only real note. Kudos to Devin and Danny for having the the sort of guts to no pun intended, I guess, to do the, to do that book because it was, it was ballsy and clay script is just, just nasty. Like it's just a nasty script. I mean, you got to like consider like the book at like, contextually I think is what makes it so upsetting because it's not just about the kids and the parents, but it's like, they're getting what they want. Like the family, it's a broken family who's uh, splitting up. The parents are splitting up, they're moving out. And then all of a sudden they get brought back together, but it's because of the symbiotes. Uh, You know, it's like, Oh, the family isn't splitting up after all. (laughs) I have Uh, a really vivid memory of them like toasting with wine glasses that are likely filled with blood uh, around the dining room table while they feast on a human body. And reading that, flipping that page and thinking, I know that absolute carnage is like going places, but this is really about it's like the rubber band has stretched as far as it can without snapping in terms of Marvel sensibilities. And I really enjoyed that about it. I just, I I didn't know what to expect page to page. Well, I I think it speaks to like, there, like, there's this idea that like, like I'm a, I'm a fan of Marvel comics but I don't buy most Marvel comics. Um, like I buy Immortal Hulk 
you know what I mean? I buy Daredevil. Uh, I like I would buy, you know, I was in Carnage and, and stuff like that. Like there's an audience for things that are upsetting. Uh, but the trouble with things that are upsetting is that they upset and some people don't like being upset and other people really enjoy it. I happen to enjoy getting upset. Me too. Um, yes. And, and so, so t- it's tough because like every review of that book, that was, I think maybe the best reviewed book I ever did. I'm like uh, spoiler alert. I'm a pretty contentious artist. Like people either really like my stuff or really hate it. And frankly, I don't give a shit. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't care at all. Like, but in the, in the end, like, People like the, it seems like horror fans really get what I'm doing. And a lot of superhero fans, when everybody's beautiful, like Mark Silvestri fans will not like what I do. Everybody I draw is ugly. Like I don't draw pretty people. That was Kyle Hotz and I were talking one time and Kyle was kind of like made a joke about like, well, I just don't draw pretty girls. So I could never really go maybe as far as some of my contemporaries. And I, and like that really stuck with me because I was like, God, I think he's serious. And then I, the more I thought about it, I was like, I don't either. You know, like I draw ugly everybody and I like that, you know, like I love Jack Davis, you know, like I love, you know, like all these weird old like EC artists and the old Harvey artists and like these people that draw women, women that were pretty in a certain time or men that were like kind of idealized in like a comic strip way. But I don't draw like, you know, I don't draw like a Scott Summers how Sylvester would draw him where he's like the perfect hunk or whatever. Right. Like I just draw kind of people that are ugly. But you drew a cute girl in this case. And I think I wouldn't even, I don't even agree with that. I think I drew a sympathetic girl. Like, I don't feel like she was even really that cute. Well, I guess maybe that's it. It's like, I was going (laughs) to say like, she was just likable enough until (laughs) you tore our heart out by having her get dragged back into that house. I think it it helps that I have little kids. So I was able to kind of like, be like, oh, like what, what makes me love my kids and how do I corrupt the shit out of that? (laughs) Oh, that's, that's reassuring. You did this really cool, I don't know how else to describe it. Like when the symbiote is like bursting out of the dog and some of the other characters, you did this thing where like, it's almost like honeycomb panels. Like they're just kind of all layered on top of each other. And you're getting like punches in of all this gory graphic detail that uh, it, it makes me think like Cronenberg, Alien, things like that. Do you want to talk about that kind of like design process and making sure that the eye can still follow the action? Yeah. So I think that, well, actually, I think that was one of the, where the dog is kind of like where everything is, where the dog is turning into the monster essentially, I think is maybe the page where he's like lying down and the parents are arguing and it's like bleeding out through the page in a real weird way. I think that was probably my least successful storytelling page in that. So like getting the eye to follow that was like really a challenge. And I don't know if I was particularly successful there. Uh, However, the influences were very like, you know, talking to Clay beforehand, he was like, you know, obviously this is a Texas Chainsaw Massacre story. This is a John Carpenter's The Thing story. This is a, this is a Lovecraft tale. Like we're, you know, we're kind of drawing from these more, I mean, it's body horror and family trauma essentially. Um, so that was kind of the the thought process going in. So it's like, okay, well, I need any excuse to watch the thing again, I'm going to use that. <laughs> Rob well, Lotin's I love that it kind of moves away from like what we typically associate with the horror of like the symbiotes, right? Like it, it went much more John Carpenter's The Thing than we ever get with those characters. And that's what made it stand out to me. One of the things, so weirdly, like they let me redesign those symbiotes. And my whole thought, can I talk about that briefly? Yeah, go ahead. Um, Because we actually didn't get to see Lasher um, really fully realized. And it was kind of disappointing. They they showed her a little bit in, um, uh, I can't remember, maybe it was Ebon that drew her, but 
uh, in, a, in an issue of Venom or something. But the whole, like for me, when they asked me to redesign these things, I was like, okay, how do I make them genuinely horrific? And like use some of Ryan, because Ryan had been using those tubes, those red tubes through everything, like in the carnage. So I was trying to find a way to incorporate that motif. And I was like, okay, well, what, what's like a, a horror of the family? And like the thing that I like the thing that bothered me the most to think about was a car crash. Um, and so with, with the way that I originally designed the symbiotes and especially Lasher, which we didn't get to see, was like if Lasher was going to get moving, like I wanted these kids and these family members to get tossed around inside of the symbiote, almost like they were rolling a car. Um, because like, like I was trying to just destroy their bodies essentially, um, because I felt like that's you know. To me, like the carelessness of the symbiotes in those moments, like they're just completely deranged and they're just using the bodies as puppets. Um, so I kind of really wanted to sell that like, oh, it's it's a vehicle, you know, at this point, but like kind of reversing it where the body's almost like, you know, in, inside of it in a way. So you'll see like through the whole book, there's like moments of like, like faces peeking out or like hands kind of like dangling out or whatever, where there's just like puppeteered bodies. Well, I love the idea of like the design of symbiotes being like a recreation of trauma of some kind. Uh, you know, we talked to Mark Bagley and he discussed with us like the the genesis of the Carnage character was supposed to look like someone had gotten like a gunshot wound to the chest and the like red and black would come out of that. That's um, awesome. And, you know, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. And I, you can that's find awesome. it online because it didn't ultimately make the final design, but it's a really neat interpretation of like a, a character that I I'm surprised we've never seen in a, in a symbiote since. So uh, it's cool that you say God, that. that makes me like want to draw carnage that way, but like with like an orifice that opens up on him and stuff like well, well, so go, cool. look, go look it up online. It's super cool. You'll, you'll, you'll see it. Yeah, That sounds awesome. You'll appreciate appreciate it. I know you have to get going soon. So uh, I want to talk about your, your newest venture. I don't want to use the rival business in the description, but you are doing like, a new crowdfunding platform called Zoop, right? To create a, a new comic called The Brothers James. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Oh, are we avoiding saying Kickstarter? Is that a thing we're trying to not well, do? I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, I know that that's like the big competition. So like no, I don't, crowdfunding I don't platform. Sure. Can we well, say that? there's Indiegogo and all those things, right? Like, like Zoop's interesting because it's just, you know, it's only focused on comics, you know, like as far as I, you know, like, I don't know if they have broader plans or anything like that, but, you know, Jordan kind of asked me to, I think it was Jordan asked me, I, I, I have a Tlosky, who is, is doing, yes. is running Zoop. Yeah, so we talked and he kind of kind of told me what they were doing and it seemed interesting and cool and also just helpful like to for what I was doing with the brothers James. And so we kind of decided to go for it and you know like uh so Zoop kind of seemed to be filling in some gaps of things that that I would have that that was extremely convenient for me and you know, Brothers James is kind of a long-standing project that seemed like the perfect thing for it because you know, we started it 10 years ago and uh, we were kind of wet behind the ears when we were doing it and now we kind of like are revising it and finishing it and so it was like okay well why not have a wet behind the ears company you know kind of like like work with them they, they and i don't say that with any level of insult either it's just flat out like let's go with these guys that we'll see how it goes you know like and and they seem cool and trustworthy and uh, willing to work with my neurotic ass and that's like perfect you know <laughs> so so tell us about this project so like if people want to 
you know, kick or zoop it. I don't know what the, what yeah. the, uh, yeah, they're going to steal is. that, dude. Yeah. They got to zoop it, bro. They got to zoop, zoop it. it you know, it's like Bop It's weird sequel. Yeah. <laughs> what is this book about? Like you're doing the art for it. It sounds like you're writing it too. Tell us a little bit more. Yeah. So it's, it's a really interesting, weird. So uh, ultimately what the book is, is twin brothers, uh, 15 years after their parents are murdered, they are tying up the loose ends of their life. Uh, by executing the remaining members of a defunct biker gang all throughout the southeastern United States. You know, so we go to Kentucky and Tennessee, Louisiana, uh, various places throughout the United States for them to exact bloody revenge and a pretty, pretty bitchin' uh, Dodge Challenger. So they just, and you get a lot of hijinks, you get a lot of jokes, you get a lot of like genuine pathos and some moments of ultraviolence, uh, some double crosses, uh, bikers whipping around chains, bashing up things made of glass, you know, all kinds of good stuff. Uh, it's very has a lot of has a lot of the same energy as a lot of exploitation cinema of the 1970s. It is made in glorious black and white. Uh, we want it to you know want it to feel like what it is, which is an indie comic that rips ass. I drew issues two through three, or sorry, two, three, and four. Pardon me. Um, Mike Walsh uh, drew the first issue ages ago, uh, long before anybody knew who he was. You know, I, he doesn't really, he's not really promoting it either. Cause I don't think he's really stoked. And I don't say that to like demean it. Like I totally get it. You know, uh, some of the stuff, some of the stuff in, in the earlier issues, I've had a chance to revise of my own. So it's, you know, like I, I don't have the same, you know, like sort of, Oh no, people are going to see my old art. And then uh, Eamon Hill uh, is coming in to draw the last issue, which I completely wrote. So Ryan, who wrote one through three and four, and I wrote a little bit on four as well. And then I took over entirely for five, which is kind of the oversized finale. And so we're offering it up. So if you have one through four from 10 years ago, you can get issue five. If you've not read it at all, you can get all five issues or a trade. So are those offered in like, you said trade, are they like, you know, black and white? Are you printing it on like special paper for that kind of like pulpy feel or uncoated paper is entirely my plan for printing is just printing it on uncoated black and white with a nice cover stock nothing you know i don't want to overdo the cover stock i hate the way that like big heavy duty cardboard feels it feel it makes actually feels cheaper to me for some reason things to be made of paper and so like uh, we have variants as well like we just kind of have like the the standard like issue one or issue two or whatever cover. And then we have the black, white, and blood stain cover, which is kind of like a black, white, and red covered in blood uh, variant. And then the trade just has one cover. Well, that's really cool. So people can just like go on Zoop and find this thing. Yep. Zoop.gg. And uh, I think we're on the active campaigns. It's just Zoop.gg slash C, like the letter C, what you turn into when you work at a desk too long and then uh, <laughs> slash the brother, the brothers James. But uh, yeah, if you go to the Zoop.gg site, it's, it's right there. Well, that's so cool. It's really exciting. I get to see more of that old ultra violence that, that you're, you're so <laughs> known for, uh, uh, yeah. from that carnage issue for, for our Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, you'll readers. see like the, you'll see the proto horror me. That one's, the stuff's a little, a little earlier. It's, I kind of ever so it's funny now I'm like eating up your time, you know, ever since we did, uh, like started brothers James. And then I moved into doing some stuff with that Brisson and image. We did a sort of a superhero, a hyper violent superhero book. And that was like really where I cut my teeth and like, I've always wanted to do horror and I've always had experience with it. That's where I like, I really got to figure out my voice. And so I do a lot of uh, independent stuff that I re- like write and draw for anthologies or self-published. That's like really gnarly. So it's kind of funny to see like where any chance I get to make something a nightmare, I take it. 
<laughs> um, one last question. I asked this question of everybody that comes on the show that has worked on Spider-Man, you know, the character being as large of, you know, as he is in our pop culture. What does it mean to you personally to have worked on like a Spider-Man book and, and shaped a part of this character's legacy? The sentimental answer to that question there were several times when working on it that was like, like you just kind of almost like have a bit of an out-of-body experience because you're kind of like, what would 12-year-old me think of this? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, like a 12, of course, 12-year-old you thinks that it's the bitchinest shit that they've ever, you know, they could ever imagine. And then, you know, 37-year-old you is kind of like, all right, am I going to hit this deadline? Like, I need to hurry up or I need to, you know, I got to make sure I re- re- readjust my schedule. So, you know, so it's weird. Like, there's a a bit of a schism in the brain happens there because you're trying to like give it all of your heart but then it's like but you got to give it all of your like labor like all of your ass so to speak and it's a you know it's, it can be it, it can be it almost makes it more difficult um i'm kind of dealing with that a little bit on the batman stuff uh, that i'm doing now so not to bring up other competitors or whatever oh no that's i'm not marvel's not paying me you could bring up whatever you want L- looking back at it now that you're free of the deadline do you have like feelings about your work and and where that kind of falls in your career or even your childish ambitions it, looking back on that it's weird because i think when i think about working on it i don't think about this is maybe this is a testament to being a huge sentimental dork uh, but like, I don't think about it as like the chance I had to work on Spider-Man. It was the chance that my friend helped me work on Spider-Man and I got to work with Ryan, like in that way, like it was like a chance, like where like my friend helped me work on something, you know, got, got, it got me an opportunity and then we worked together. Like, so I always associate it with Ryan. I don't really associate it with Spider-Man, which is really weird. Well, underneath all that gore, you really are a softie. It turns out. Oh dude, it's terrible. It's terrible. I'll cry at the right commercial at any day, any day, you know? <laughs> well, well, great. Um, well, Brian, I know I got to let you go. So uh, why don't you tell our listeners where they can follow you on the internet and what books you're working on other than the brothers James, and we'll let you go. So I I'm on Twitter currently uh, is where I'm the biggest idiot. And you can find me there at, at Brian underscore level. And then I'm on Instagram as well, but it's primarily for tattooing. Right now, Zoop has kind of been managing my Instagram. So it's all Brothers James stuff right now. Uh, but generally speaking, it, um, tattoos that I've done or stuff at the tattoo shop or whatever. And that's uh, Illuminat Tattoo, which is I-L-L-U-M-I-N-A-U-T, like uh, Illuminat Juggernaut. We were talking about Juggernaut. That's, that you can find me there. And I'm on Facebook. And when I say on Facebook, I'm just like... I exist. And then every once in a while I'll pass by and crack a joke about, I don't know, something stupid. You just lurk in on Facebook. I, you know, I don't even really lurk it. I pop on it. I, it's funny. I canceled Facebook or like deactivated or whatever. And then I jumped back on like six or seven months later. And I was like, Hey y'all don't expect me to be on here, but I am just going to show up and just ask for shit sometimes. Like if I'm like looking <laughs> for something or if I need a mower or like a lead on a drywall guy, like I'm just going to ask you things. Yeah. So I don't sense. really even lurk it. I just show up sometimes to be selfish. I'm just be a selfish dude on Facebook sometimes. That's kind of how I use it now. Yeah, whatever. There's a lot of crazy stuff happening on there. Might as well just use it for your own means. Well, hey, Brian, thanks again for um, for joining us on the show. Good luck on the Brothers James, and I can't wait to see what the final product looks like. Uh, thank you very much. I, you know, Eamon, I didn't get a chance to talk enough about him. He's an awesome artist, and I'm really excited for people to see his work because he's not really been out in the world of comics that much yet. So I'm really stoked for people to get to see his stuff. 
Well, it's that time, time for all good things to come to an end. So we wanted to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning into this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Plus, an extra special thanks to Brian Level for joining us on the show. Be sure to check out his Zoop crowdfunding campaign for the Brothers James. You can find links to the campaign and his work in the description of this show or by going to zoop.gg. Good luck, Brian. I know so many of you are excited about our Hobgoblin content that's coming up, so I wanted to assure everyone that those episodes are, in fact, coming. Mark and I wanted to be sure to get it all right, but with the end of Nick Spencer's run and Beyond on the Horizon, we also wanted to take a pause to be sure to cover those right and make sure that we could make that transition smoothly. So thank you again for being patient with us on the Hobgoblin episodes, but in the meantime... This episode, as always, was edited by Rick Coast with production support from Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Buscema, Ray Sumzer, and Nick Cagnetti. Our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack and Spider Madge, plus our introduction, animation, and musical stinger comes from Josh Sutton from the YouTube show Panels to Pixels. So if you're tuning in live, don't forget, as soon as the show ends, the conversation continues with our audience on YouTube. And if you missed out on Amazing Spider Talk Live this time, we'll be back soon on YouTube. So go there and subscribe and click on the bell to stay on top of all the new live recordings that we'll be doing in the future. But as always, this will remain a podcast first and foremost. That will always be consistent, just like how we end the show. And that's with our motto. So until I become a cannibal and eat my entire family at the dining room table, with great podcasts, there must also come... The Amazing Spider Talk. Don't, don't miss the next